Let's pray. Father, we just come before You, Lord, and we just want to worship You and we want to praise You. We want to say thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We're thankful for the truth that You revealed about Yourself in it. We thank You for Jesus Christ who entered into creation. God dwelt among us. As we celebrated His incarnation, His birth last month, I pray that we don't forget it. We thank You, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank You that three days later You rose again proving and being victorious over death itself, that you are greater than death. So Jesus, I pray this morning that we honor you in what I say, Lord, and and everything that's in your word. I pray, Lord, that we can practice it. Lord, I pray for your strength this morning. And Lord, I just pray that we can draw closer to you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. I just want to start off by just saying a couple of thank yous. Uh, first church, thank you so much for your generous love gift. Every Christmas time, there's usually a, a little Christmas love gift from the church. I just wanted to say thank you for showing us your love in that way, and uh, but also thank you for loving us not that way as well. Um, I want to thank Mark Harrigan who preached last week in in a few days' notice, um, and the worship team again, same thing, uh, leading everything without me or Stephanie uh, present. Thank you for the prayers. If you didn't know, we, me and Stephanie both got COVID a few days after Christmas. Um, it's been pretty exhausting. It's been tiring. Naya also wasn't feeling good, so whoever was feeling better for the day was on Naya duty, so you really didn't get a lot of rest, even if you were feeling better. Um, but we're on the up of it, and uh, we're doing an, an investigation, and there's going to be church discipline. Whoever gave it to me on that Sunday, I'm going to... I'm just kidding. We're not... <laughs> Uh, but no, I really thank you for the prayers. Thank you for those who have reached out and who have been praying and your encouraging texts and for, for helping us through that. I really appreciate it. And I wanted to say this last week, but I wasn't here, but Happy New Year, right? It's, it's officially the new year. That's crazy. I still feel like it should be like October or November. Um, but I was looking at just the top five New Year's resolutions. And I want you, I'm gonna, this is interactive. You can shout it out at me. What do you think are some of the top resolutions that people have for the new year? Go, just shout some answers out. Lose weight, exercise, save money. What did you say? <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, Angel has called me out. Yes, um, I, I have to confess I did not paint the ceiling. I told him I would do it. Uh, but in all fairness, he wasn't here for the past couple months, so I can call you right back out. In love, in love. Um, read, read through the Bible, yes, yep. So yeah, some of the top five, and I'm going to say like worldly, or just, you know, whatever, and not in a bad way, but a lot of the things that the world does is they, you, you got most of them, lose weight or exercise more. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us have joined a gym recently? Uh, the second one is to get organized. I didn't, I didn't know that, to get organized. The third is to learn a new skill or a hobby. The fourth is to quit smoking or to quit drinking. And the fifth was to spend less money or to better budget, right? And those aren't bad things to have. I'm not here to pick on anybody who has a resolution. They're not bad things to have. In fact, if you made one, that's good. That, that's a good thing, and hopefully it will improve your life. But what I want to challenge us as both a church together, but also as the individual, is this. Do we have a spiritual goal, a spiritual resolution that we'd like to accomplish this year? Are some of the goals, as they were shouted out, that some Christians have, and these are good, are read through the Bible within a year. 
usually when you get to like springtime and you get into Leviticus, you, you sort of like, eh, I'm going to go back in the New Testament a little bit more. Right? You, usually it ends up stopping there. A lot of Christians want to pray more or they want to improve or grow deeper in their faith or their relationship with the Lord. But, and those are good things. But what I want to focus on this morning, and I want to give us three spiritual habits or three spiritual disciplines that the Apostle Paul gives to the church in Philippi, but also that are applicable for us today. So for this new year, and this is not going to be like a one-and-done type of spiritual habit or resolution, I want us to work together as a church, as the individual, to give you a challenge or a charge for the new year. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. As you're turning there, I do want to give you a little bit of context because if you jump right into a book, a book in the Bible, it could get taken out of context. Things could get confusing or lost. But here's some context to this letter of Paul. It's written by the Apostle Paul around 61 A.D. Again, that's about 30 years after Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. He wrote it while he was under house arrest in Rome. Right? So he's in another location under house arrest. He's awaiting a trial that will either clear his name, and he'll be free, or he'll, he'll, he'll be put to death or imprisoned even longer. And you can read about that in Acts, in Acts chapter 28. It was for the church that's located in Philippi, hence the letter Philippians. And throughout the letter, we see multiple reasons why Paul writes this letter. In chapter 4, he thanks the church for a generous gift. This church wasn't a very wealthy church. It was made up of people who were poor, but they they brought money together, and out of love, they generously gave Paul a gift. So he's thanking them for that. In chapter 2, he also explains to them why he's not coming, but why Epaphroditus is coming to them. In chapter 1, he informs the church of his circumstances. He tells them that he is in chains, that he is in, uh, in prison for the gospel. And then in chapter 3, he also warns the church about the dangers of false teachers and the heresy. And the overall theme, if you could just sum up this one book of the Bible with one word, it would be this, joy. Joy. So Philippians chapter 4, it's towards the end, it is the last chapter. We'll start at verse 4 and I'll read to verse 9. So let's read this together. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So this morning, through this text, I want to talk about three spiritual habits or three spiritual disciplines I think as a church and as an individual Christian would be good for us to practice this new year. The three points are this, if you want to write them all down so you don't have to worry about missing any. The first is to live joyfully. To live joyfully. The second is to pray with thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving. And to think godly. That's the last one. So live joyfully, pray with thanksgiving, and to think godly. The first point, to live joyfully. Let's look at verse 4 again. He says, Rejoice 
in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, let your, your graciousness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So Paul is encouraging the Christian, the believer, us to what? To rejoice in the Lord, but when? Always. To always rejoice and be joyful in the Lord. And it's really easy to be joyful when everything's going well. Right? Maybe you've heard things like this, like, I, I just got a promotion. Praise God! Right? Or, the Jets won! Hallelujah! Or, we finally booked that vacation that we've been budgeting for. I can't wait! Right? Those are good circumstances. Those are good things. The problem with joy is most of the time the world, most of the time some, us even, we base it on our circumstances. And what do we know about our lives? That they constantly change. That circumstances change. That good things happen and also bad things happen. Right? We know this. We talked about this last month during the Advent time when we talked about joy. Right? How many times do we hear from people, I lost my job. Yippee! My bank account got hacked. Yes! Yes, hack my other one too. Or, I lost a loved one. This is the best day ever. I hope, I hope you don't ever hear that or never say that. But what? To find joy in circumstances is not what Paul commands for Christians. He actually tells us where our joy should be found, where our rejoicing comes from. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Not in circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord. And you might be thinking, right, if you're new to reading the Bible, well, yeah, that's nice, Paul. That, that's nice. What, what a great challenge, but you don't know what I'm going through. Right? My, my relationships are a mess. My, my life is not easy. It's easy for you to say. right? These words are easy for you to say, but, but you're not me. I just find it funny that Paul's writing this letter while he's literally shackled to a guard in prison 24-7, has no privacy. Where he goes, the guard goes. He's writing this letter, and he knows that it might be his time to die. Yet, throughout the whole letter, he doesn't complain about it. He actually, in, in chapter 1, says it's a blessing. That he's advancing the gospel. That he's there for a reason. And he's rejoicing in it. He doesn't look for pity or sympathy. He doesn't complain, but rather he writes about joy. I'll say this, biblical joy is not a feeling. It's not our emotion. One pastor put it this way, and I really liked this definition. It's a deep confidence. A deep confidence that God is in complete control no matter your circumstance. It's a deep confidence that God is in control no matter what happens. It's knowing that God is good even when you don't get that promotion. It's knowing that He's still in complete control even when we lose a loved one. It's knowing that we can trust in His promises, trust in His love for us, even when our world is collapsing. And there's a direct relationship, a correlation between our relationship with God and our confidence in Him. And what I mean by that is that the deeper our relationship is with the Lord, the more confident we'll be in Him. Right? The, the more joy we will have, but the shallower our faith the weaker our faith, the more superficial our faith is in God, how much more easy is it to forget who He is and to lose our joy when bad things happen? 
right? And that might sound intimidating. That might sound like a lot of studying, right? You might be thinking, well, I'm not a theologian, right? Maybe I, I don't know a lot about God. I don't know that much, right? But, but it sounds like it's overwhelming, but I love what Paul does. He tells us immediately in the next verse a simple truth to rest in. Here it is. It's five words in my Bible. The Lord is at hand. The or, if you want to use the, the four word, the Lord is near. Right? That's a verse that we can memorize. It's four letter, or four words. The Lord is near. So why do we rejoice in the Lord? Because He's near. Because He is with us. He is at hand. There's been philosophers throughout history who've compared God to a watchmaker. I don't know if you've heard or, or, or learned about this. Well, it would be years ago in school. There's a lot of philosophers, they think, well, there's a deity, there's a God, but he simply created the world, and like a watchmaker, he, he wound it up, and then he walked away. There's no need of him anymore because he created it, and he walked away from the world he created. But what happens with this verse is Paul completely contradicts that in one verse. And also throughout the Bible, we see that God is working. We just sang about it. Even when it doesn't look like it, God's working. And the most obvious rebuttal to that argument is that Jesus came into the world. That God pursued us. God came down into creation in love and grace and in mercy. He made a way for sinners to be saved. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. Right? The Lord is at hand. God is not distant. God is not unknowable. Nor has He abandoned us. But rather, God is in control. Nothing is outside of His control. Right? If we just know that, if we believe that, if we memorize that, I guarantee the next time trials happen, that verse will pop into your head. God's not taken back by your circumstances. He knows. So this year, challenge one is to pursue joy. A joy that's not based on our circumstances, not based on our feelings, but a joy that's found by knowing that God is in control and that He has us. That He has us. A joy that's so deep that even when we go through the hard times, when we go through trials, we rest in the confidence that God has not lost control. That He's right there with us as we go through these circumstances. I, I alluded to it, but how do we do this? It requires growing in our relationship. And I know this is going to sound like very, very churchy or very uh, not really like, like surprising, but how do we grow in a relationship with God? We spend time with Him. How do you grow closer to any relationship? You spend quality time with that person. With God, you spend time with Him through prayer, through reading His Word, through memorizing Scriptures, right? By remembering His character and His nature. One, live joyfully. Number two, Pray with thanksgiving. Let's read verse 6. Paul says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I know a lot of us know this verse. You've probably prayed it before. You've probably heard me pray it from the pulpit over the last couple of months as we were praying for Heather Rubino, as we were praying for Anna, as we were praying for Charlie, right? This verse does contain a lot of truths 
Right? There's a lot of different, different like, avenues we can go down, but I want to just focus on one. But here are just a few just things we learn about prayer in, this, in these two verses. That we should take everything to God in prayer. Everything to God in prayer. I love one pastor. He said this, there's nothing too great for God's power and there's nothing too small for his fatherly care. Think about that. Nothing too big or too great for God's power. Nothing too small or insignificant for our Heavenly Father's care. Rather than responding with fear and anxiety, we're commanded to pray. That's another thing we learn here. Another thing we see is that God gives us peace, His peace, through prayer, which will guard our hearts and our minds. And then the, what I want to focus on, this just this one aspect, is this verse makes a connection between prayer and thanksgiving. Right? It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Right? There's a connection. How often, let's be honest, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of us pray without thanking God? Or maybe we pray without thanksgiving. Many times we might try to rush through all our prayer requests to God, and before you know it, we, we've really treated God like a cosmic genie. Right? Maybe the conversation was a little bit one-sided. God, I want this. God, I need that. God, I need that. That's okay to do. But what I'm saying here is where's the thanksgiving? Right? When was the last time we prayed and thanked God for His goodness, for His love, for His mercy, His grace, His forgiveness, His kindness? And that, that list can keep going. When I was young and I was sitting in these pews, a lot of times we had an elder prayer. And oftentimes, often, I'm embarrassed, but oftentimes I'd usually fall asleep during it. Because listen, I was a little kid. I was in middle school. Okay, maybe I was a little older. Maybe high school too. But what happened was the person that we praying would just be just praying theological truths about who God is, His character, His nature. They'll be praying scripture verses about God. And to me, I'm like, just get to the prayer request already. Why? Like, come on, we've got to get church over with. Right, how often do we kind of rush through prayer? We're like, come on, come on, come on. Right, and you might hear people praying. You're like, oh, all right, come on. yeah, God, we know you're good. Okay, God, we know you love us. Come on, come on, we've got to get this moving. Uh, listen, I, I'm guilty of it. Let's be honest. We, I think we all are. Right? But when we pray with an attitude of thanksgiving, two things happen in our hearts. And maybe you know this, maybe you don't know this. When we pray with thanksgiving, we practice gratitude. We practice gratitude. If you don't know what that means, it's a feeling of an appreciation to someone who's done something for you. For Christians, it's acknowledging that God has done everything for us. That He created us. That He came down to earth. That He died for us. That everyone who is in Christ has been adopted as sons and daughters. That He's done everything for our salvation. That there's nothing we can do to earn it or to deserve it but rather our salvation is totally dependent on God's love and mercy and grace and goodness. And the least we could do is say thank you. Thank you. So when we pray with thanksgiving, we, we practice gratitude. The second thing we do is we have a submission to God's will. What, what do I mean by that? When we pray with thanksgiving, it's trusting in God's will, God's plan, not our own. When the storms of life hit us, and they will hit us, it's being able to pray to God with a heart, saying, God, I don't know why this is happening, but I know that you are with me, I know you are in control, and you'll get me through this. 
everything is under your authority and your will. It's being able to take our frustrations to God without blaming Him. Right? Too often we end up praying when bad things happen and we, we, we end up blaming God. and Saying, how could you do this to me? How could this happen? Where were you? How dare you? Right? A lot of times when we go through trials, that's how people respond in prayer. But meanwhile, Paul tells us what? With thanksgiving, pray. With joy and gratitude. Now, I'm not saying this is easy to do. Right? But the more we work on this attitude, the more we work on this habit of thanksgiving while praying, the more natural it will become. I, I, I might be butchering this, so just take this very lightly. I believe it takes about three weeks to either break a habit and then three weeks to start a new habit. Right? So I think the very least, we know that this will take time. It's not going to be like, okay, boom, oh, wow, that's good. I, I pray with Thanksgiving every day now. This is, this is amazing. I live joyfully. Woo-hoo, like, this is great. What a good service. I'm all done for the new year. No, no, it's a habit, which means continual. You work on it, and it becomes second nature. So my challenge, as you start off praying, take a few minutes to thank God. Thank Him for everything that He's done for you. I know people who list their blessings, who list their thanks in a little prayer journal to God both spiritual and physical things. And even if there's seemingly nothing to thank Him for, you thank Him for the salvation we have received in Jesus Christ. We thank Him that the Bible says we can boldly approach His throne of grace. That even as a sinner, we're covered by Christ's blood, His righteousness, that we can go before the Father with Jesus as our mediator. Right? What a blessing. Turn to Romans chapter 11, real quick. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Romans 11, verse 33. In Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, Paul sets up a lot of deep theological truth. There are a lot of theological things here that people have studied for a lifetime and still disagree on. After... Paul, in his letter at the end of chapter 11, after he lays out all these rich theological truths about God, we get to verse 33. He kind of stops for a moment, and what does he do? He praises God. It's sort of out of place. Verse 33, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments! How inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might repay? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I just love that. At the end of these these rich doctrinal truths that Paul lays out, how does he end or conclude? With praise. with, With a gratitude, with thanksgiving, a praising who God is. It just came to me this morning as I was just, just, just kind of looking at my notes here. Right, and before we move to the last point, right, we just went over praying with thanksgiving. There is a promise that God, of God that Paul gives to us. In verses 6 and 7, he, pray, he says that when we pray with thanksgiving, that God will give us a peace that only He can give us. We can't get it on our own. We can't get it from our spouse. We can't get it from our friends. We can't get it 
from professional health experts. We can't get it even from our pastors. This is a God-given peace that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. True peace is not available through any human source, but only through Jesus Christ. And we could have a whole other sermon on that, and I don't want to. Not now. But just that one fact. Live joyfully. Pray with thanksgiving. The third thing we see, Paul says to think godly. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul makes a little bit of a shift here. He is now addressing our thoughts in, chapter, in verse 8. He lists all these different attributes that are worth taking up space in our minds to think about. And I, I don't, I'm not going to go through each word one by one, but the words he uses are truth, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, anything of excellence, anything that's worthy of being praised. And let me summarize that. The only person that fits all those categories is Jesus Christ. There, there, there's the simple, the very simple truth of that. There's a sense from Paul that he's challenging the church. He's challenging us to keep our minds on God. Fill our minds with godly things, not earthly or worldly things. Why? Why? Why why should our thoughts remain godly? In Mark chapter 7, Jesus would say this, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceitfulness, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul would say this, to take captive every thought in our minds and make it obedient to Christ. Proverbs 4 says, Above all else, guard your hearts. For everything you do flows from it. And then in Romans 12, Paul says, Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here's the summary. People's actions. Our actions are a direct result of our thinking. Even just a thought can lead us into temptation, leads us into sin. And I'll give you now a really simple acronym, G-I-G-O. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. It was used by my dad growing up. Garbage in, garbage out. Right? The more garbage we take in, the more garbage we look at, the more garbage we think about, it's going to take up that space in our minds. And eventually it's going to rob God of glory that's due to Him. It's going to rob our thoughts that should be focused on what? Lovely things. Focused on godly things. I'm going to give you a really silly example. Don't read into it. Just, just, just follow it. A few years ago, I was watching a TV show called Criminal Minds. It's a crime drama. In the end, the good guys always win. It's, it's, it follows the same formula every single episode. And I was binging it. I was like, oh, I think it was during COVID. I'm like, there's nothing else to do. I'm just going to binge through this whole series. 
And then something happened, right? The this, this show got even more darker. Like every season, I'm like, how could, it, how could it top that? And it did. And then eventually, I noticed that my thoughts were being affected by this show. I would go to bed, I'm not exaggerating, I'd go to bed afraid that someone would break into our house, that I would triple check each door to make sure it was locked. I would even lock our bedroom door. I got a golf club and I put it next to our bed, because that's really going to stop someone. I'll probably get hurt by that, by tripping over it. I'd set up little booby traps right by the door in case someone would walk and I'd hear them like, step on it. I was afraid. I, I, I'm not exaggerating. I know it's silly. I know it's stupid. I'd be driving, and I'd see a van in the parking lot. I'm like, I'm not parking next to that van. I'm not getting kidnapped. Not today. I have a really long driveway, and I always take the garbage out at night. I don't think I've taken the garbage out quicker than when I watched that show. I was, if you had a camera, you'd laugh. I was like, zoom up and down. and Please, I don't want to get killed. I was afraid. Why? This show was consuming my thoughts, my mind. I was thinking about it. I had dreams that started to get affected by the show. And after that, I was like, that's it. I have to stop. As entertaining as it is, what was happening? I was filling my mind with not godly things, with not good things, but rather what? Dark and evil twisting things. My mind was full of fear and anxiety. Again, I can confidently say I wasn't thinking about true things, honorable things, just, pure, lovely, commendable things that are worthy of praise. Fear and anxiety took over my brain. And I wasn't thinking about the love of God. I know it's a silly example, and and don't read into it. But the thought does remain. Our thought life, right? what we think about, is significant in our spiritual maturity. We can fill our minds with the things of God, which is Paul He's telling us to do that, or we could either fill it with sin. And the last verse of this section, in verse 9, Paul says this, What you have learned and what you've received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is once again encouraging the church to follow his example. Everything that Paul has taught them, everything they've seen from him, or heard from him, they're commanded to live it, to practice it. And Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians 11. He says to the church in Corinth, follow my example, follow my leading as I follow Jesus. And it just got me thinking about my own life, and I was really convicted by this. Can I confidently say to other people, if you want to know what it means to be a Christian or a Christ follower, look at my life. Look at my life. Can you say that about your life confidently? As people look at our lives, does it point them to Christ based on how we live out our faith, how we practice our faith? So again, my hope is that this new year we practice these three spiritual habits or disciplines that Paul tells us to live joyfully, to pray with thanksgiving, and to think godly. My hope is that I can confidently say and confidently be a godly leader who's a good example of what it means to be a Christian. That I can boldly say to others, follow me as I follow Christ. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, look at my life. Look at the love I have for others and for Jesus. Look at my life. I hope that through these disciplines and, and through, through those three main points that we can all echo that.
to others around us. Let's pray. God, we just are thankful for who You are. We're thankful, Lord, for Your love for us. That You're not a God who just created us and ran away. That You didn't just create us and abandon us. But Your Word says that You're always with us. And as we looked and as we praised and studied the birth of Jesus, it was the coming of God to earth. So Lord, we're thankful that You have pursued us. We thank You for Your grace, for Your love, for Your mercy. As Lamentation says, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That His mercies never come to an end. That every day Your mercies are new. That You are great. And that You are faithful. So God, I just pray that we can rest assured in the promises in Your Word that You've given us. I pray, Lord, that even when we go through tough circumstances, and we will, that when we go through hardships, that we can find joy in You. The joy that we have a God who pursues us, a God who loves us, a God who died for us. We have a God who has adopted us as sons and daughters for all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I also pray that we can pray with thanksgiving. That each time we pray, we can just take an extra few moments just to thank You for all the blessings. We thank You for this church, for this building, for the heat, that we're not outside in the snow. Lord, I know it's silly, but we thank You for that. We thank You for New Village Church and for, Lord, just having us be in this community for over 200 years. Lord, we're thankful for every blessing You've given us. I pray that we never take them for granted. And I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can leave here being refueled or refilled with joy. Joy of our salvation in Jesus. I pray that even as this this week happens, we can think godly things. That the moment the world starts to creep into our brains, the moment that sin enters and tempts us, that we can take that thought captive before it snowballs, before we're affected and act on it. Lord, we just want to pray for forgiveness, Lord, for for what we've done. But we also praise You that there is forgiveness in Jesus. We thank You for loving us. We thank You that we can boldly, as I said before, boldly approach Your throne and that You will forgive us of our sins. So Jesus, we just pray this all in Your name. Amen.